Hey all, Double G here from Fight Game Media. I just wanted to talk about some of the bonus content we've been dropping on our Patreon, aka Fight Game Media Network Plus. John LaRocca and I dropped our 1998 Royal Rumble Watch Along, which is a compliment to our 1998 Raw Review Series as we cover the year in which Stone Cold Steve Austin becomes the biggest star in wrestling. Just last week, Carlos Toro and Robert Silva for our boxing podcast, Pound for Pound, put out their monthly bonus show on the biggest upsets in boxing, heading all the way back to 1986 when Donald Curry lost to Lloyd Hunnigan. Carlos wasn't even born yet, so he was watching the fight for the first time, and Robert is recounting facts from that fight like it just happened yesterday. Also, don't forget to check out myself and Chris DePetrillo and our Karate Kid podcast, which is exclusive to the Patreon, as we cover Cobra Kai Season 4. Terry Silver is back, y'all, and he's looking for revenge on one Danny Boy LaRusso. Check out the Patreon at patreon.com front slash fight game media. It is just five bucks. Give us a shot. Your Starbucks order probably costs more than that. Now, on to the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Pound for Pound podcast here on the Fight Game Media Network. I'm your co-host, Carlos Torin. Joining me every single week here on the podcast is Robert Silva. Robert, how are you doing? Good evening, Carlos. Good evening, fight fans. We're going to get right into the show. Carlos is going to lead us off with one of the biggest news items of the new year in any sport. Yes, uh, and really kind of an ugly bit of piece of news, but in this one, I think this came out like a day or even technically the day that last week's show was put up, but so obviously we couldn't talk about it, but Terrence Crawford is suing top-ranked boxing for a myriad of reasons, mainly uh, breach of contract fraudulent uh, misrepresentation, negligent misrepresentation, and a number of different things, but it, it really caught a lot of people by surprise. There was the... There was a lot of uh, noise surrounding stuff that that Crawford had, uh, and his legal team had mentioned in what, and what ended up being a, I think it was a 24... Uh, I'm sorry, 23-page complaint that I didn't get a chance to see. So I, I finally got around to reading the official complaint that a lot of stuff uh, Crawford is not exactly happy about. The main thing that a lot of people were kind of taking away from the lawsuit and not exactly, you know, and I can fully understand this, Dia, but a lot of it really has uh, came from the allegations, you know, of Bob Arum and his team and top ranks specifically uh, mishandling and mistreating uh, not just Terrence Crawford, but black fighters in general. They, the complaint made a lot of mentions uh, of Bob Arum, his, you know, what, and I'm reading this from the official complaint, his uh, disparate treatment of black boxers, including those same very black boxers, the top rank is contractually obligated to promote. And there's a lot of, uh, a lot of, uh, of that mentioned throughout the complaint. But it, we're talking on a more tangible stuff. Some of the other stuff that I think are are important as far as the actual lawsuit is concerned. It, a lot of it, the, the main thing really is the breach of contract. Because when Crawford signed uh, his final uh, deal with Top Rank that was in 2018, in the fall of 2018 Crawford was uh essentially promised two fights a year or for the duration of that contract through 2021 but it, it not exactly a uh, January to December type of year but it was like October to October year per year from that contract and one thing that Crawford alleged that he was promised was that he did not want to fight Ejidijus Kavaliowskis back in 2019. 
and Crawford essentially promised him and even actually put in Crawford's team allegedly it was put into a contract that if you fight Kavalyowskis, then Bob Arum would that would try and make and at the time Crawford alleged that Bob Arum and Top Rank made him think that the fight was with Errol Spence was right around the corner that it can be made and can be made easily. So it was essentially an incentive for Crawford to fight Kavalyowskis because the Errol Spence was right around the corner. So obviously that fight never happened. And Crawford only got to fight uh, one time in 2019 and did not uh, really fight uh, for that time. He really did not uh, get that second fight. And the complaint made mention of what Crawford earned uh, throughout the duration of the, uh, what we'll call the 2018 agreement, which is what the complaint uh, had actually said. He had made around $4.5 million dollars per fight for the duration of the uh, the last part of Crawford's contract and his time at top rank. So top so he feels top rank owes him at least four and a half million dollars just by the simple fact that Crawford uh did not get that second fight as contractually obligated, even though Crawford uh says he was healthy, he was ready, there was no reason for him not to have a second fight, and there's certainly no reason for him to not fight Errol Spence Jr., especially given that Bob Barums uh, was essentially telling him, hey, if you fight Kavlyowskis, uh we'll get you the Errol Spence fight. We can make it happen. Obviously, it never happened. And among the other things that uh, that Crawford was not happy at is suing him for this, the, uh, you know, his treatment of not just Crawford, but uh, Bob Aaron's treatment of black fighters racist remarks that Aram has said and has kind of been swept under the rug over the years. Uh, one thing that the complaint definitely has mentioned was, you know, Bob Aaron's time in promoting fights in South Africa during the uh, the the height of apartheid back in the 70s, I think it was back in the 80s, early 80s. It's, it, the first fight was October 25th, 1979. Right. The late, fight late for 70s, Muhammad uh, October twenty nine, October twenty fifth, nineteen seventy nine. John Tate versus Jerry Coatsa for the vacant to the winner to get Ali's title that he had vacated. That was the very first fight Aaron promoted in South Africa. He promoted uh, a year later. He promoted Mike Weaver versus Jerry Coatsa in South Africa. There was a few occasions that uh, Bob Aram did that, and he got ripped in the media. And then Don King followed suit in 1984 when uh, uh, Coatsa beat Michael Dokes for the WBA World Heavyweight titles. Uh, so uh, both Aram and King received criticism and, just, and justifiably so. Yeah, and, uh, you know, uh, he had mentioned uh, there was one thing that uh... – that Aram had said that was mentioned in the lawsuit is talking about uh, he, that Aram was asked whether well, staging the fights in Bofatswana. Uh, uh, I don't know if I pronounced that correctly, and if, I'm pretty sure I didn't. I apologize. Hey, well, look, look, you 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 said it better than I could ever say it. <laughs> whether well, staging the fights there uh, lent that state and implicitly the internationally condemned apartheid policy credibility. And Aaron responded, I couldn't care less whether Bofatswana is an independent nation or not. If the fight is bad, people won't tune in. And if it's good, they will. I prefer to let the United Nations fool around and determine whether these people are puppets or not. As long as I can do business and put on a fight, politics, frankly, bores me. And that, you know, he goes on in other instances throughout the years and mentions stuff, you know, saying that uh, that Larry Holmes was a soft fighter was focused on money, that Floyd Mayweather shoots up cars, is not an entertainment fighter, is he's a scared fighter, and a lot of that instances for, uh, you know, comments that Aaron would say of black fighters, that the complaint alleges he would never say that to a white fighter. And it's, that's the main crux of it all. There's a, it's a 23-page, uh, complaint which is out there for anybody to 
to for anyone to watch. And and we're talking about specific comments about er- Barbarum. Uh, the suit uh, said uh, Aaron has made the following comments about Crawford while simultaneously promoting Crawford under the 2018 agreement. He says, quote-unquote, I won't lose any more money on Terrence Crawford. Uh, quote-unquote, if he doesn't, then who the fuck needs him? He may be the greatest fighter in the world, but hey, I ain't going bankrupt promoting him. And just a, a number of different comments, and also comments uh, towards Al Heyman of PBC. And really, really, I'm going to be here all day if I, if I just go for every single little detail of this lawsuit, or at least of the complaint. So... Uh, before I sort of go off more on my thoughts on the whole situation, Robert, what are your immediate thoughts on it all? In the last 30 years, Bob Arum has completely dropped the boat on promoting black fighters. The proof is in the pudding. Uh, whatever comments he made, they have proof of that. That's just cherry on, that's just, cher- that's just icing on the cake because the, the facts are the facts. In the last 30 years, he's promoted five of the most gifted fighters I've ever seen in my lifetime. Roy Jones Jr., James Toney, Terrence Crawford, Shakur Stevenson. I'm missing a name here. Roy, jo- Roy Jones, James Toney, Terrence Crawford, Shakur Stevenson. I'm missing a name. I'm missing a goddamn Roy Jones, James Toney, Shakur Stevenson. And Floyd Mayweather. Floyd Mayweather, Terrence Crawford. The five of the most gifted fighters I've ever seen in my lifetime. And he didn't ruin their career because, God, well, Shakur Stevenson is still is to, to be determined. But the other four got out when they, when they could. He had Roy Jones Jr., who's arguably the greatest fighter of the last 40 years. And he could not market him promote him correctly. You had in November of 1994, one of the few fights in the history of boxing where the two best fighters in the world fought each other. Roy Jones Jr. versus James Tony, and the pay-per-view numbers were abysmal. And here you had two fighters who had incredible backstories. Roy Jones Jr. had fired his father a few years earlier because his father had killed Roy Jones Pitbull. Roy Jones had been ongoing battle with his father because his father was never satisfied with Roy Jones and was very hard on Roy Jones. Roy Jones fired him, uh, made Alton um, Merkison his main trainer, and he continued. James Tony's father tried to murder James Tony's mother while James Tony was in his mother's arms as a baby. All right, you 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 had James Tony in high school was the number one quarterback in Michigan during the day, and at night he was selling crack in Ann Arbor. Right? You had all these great stories. He didn't focus on that, and the pay-per-view was a bomb. He had Floyd Mayweather Jr., arguably the greatest fighter of the last 30 years. right? Mm. And he could do nothing with Floyd. He did not make any money with Floyd. The minute Floyd leaves... Bob Arum and aligns himself with Oscar De La Hoya and then later on Al Heyman and PBC, he becomes the most marketable boxer in the history of the sport and has made the most money of any fighter in the history of boxing. Terrence Crawford is a generational talent. He lied to the man, said he could get a fight with Errol Spence. Carlos, you and I know that that was a lie. There was no way in the world Al Heyman was going to agree to a fight with Bob Arum for Errol Spence versus Terrence Crawford. That was an outright lie. Shakur Stevenson, in my opinion, has not been focused the way he should with his exceptional talent. We'll talk later on, and you'll let me know if it's a done deal with Stevenson versus Valdez. If anything, Carlos, I'm thinking this lawsuit has forced Bob Arum to put Valdez and Stevenson together. That's all I got to say. The proof is in the pudding. Bob Arum, Carlos, you and I could have done a better job promoting those five fighters. I mean, that's a gold mine. All right? You you have – are you kidding me? You had Roy Jones Jr., James Tony, Floyd Mayweather, and Terrence Crawford, and you couldn't make any money fight, uh, promoting these four guys? I don't understand. 
I I hear you, and you know there there was something to Crawford's uh, side. It's like, look, we were able, we were constantly put on TV, and we constantly delivered. And listen, I've been following you know boxing TV ratings over half a decade right now, and the one thing that has always jumped out at me is just how good the TV ratings are whenever Terrence Crawford fights. They're they're mm-hmm. they're incredible. He he is yep. consent, He may just be the most consistently great TV draw in all of boxing in the U.S. for you know the last seven eight years or so. And you've always, you've also mentioned that recently Shakur Stevenson has had major success ratings wise on ESPN. Yeah, he he's slowly starting to get there too. Obviously, you know we'll we'll get through the uh, possible Shakur Stevenson mm-hmm. Oscar Valdez fight in, in a little bit, but yeah. So it's it's weird how. A, f- a fighter with such a big draw uh, power on TV, it never translates well into pay-per-view. Granted, it's a, it's a hard sell when you're fighting big guys like Victor Postal. But wait a minute. And- he ha- he hasn't fought until he fought uh, Sean Porter. And even Sean Porter, I, d- I never considered Sean Porter on the level of an Errol Spence or Terrence Crawford as an elite fighter. Now that's the biggest fighter he fought on pay-per-view. Victor Postel, come on. That was that was a bomb. He, he promoted a pay-per-view fight. That fight wasn't going to sell. Yeah, what, what I'm saying is like, you know, if you're going to do a pay-per-view and you expect it to do well, regardless who the A-side is and your opponents are a washed-up Amir Khan and Victor Postel, I mean, it didn't, didn't yep. matter. It almost doesn't exactly. matter who the A-side is. It's, it's going to not do well. I mean, sure, you have a great fighter uh, in terms of Crawford on the eighth side, but when you go to pay-per-view, you're providing folks with a bad matchup. It's just not going to do well. It doesn't matter who the who, who the names are, which is why— Look, you, 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 you make a great point there because the biggest fights that Floyd ever sold on pay-per-view were against big names. Manny Pacquiao, Oscar De La Hoya, and, of course, that circus act, uh, Conor McGregor. Those were all huge names. Um, if you look at Floyd against Andre Berto, I was going to mention bombed. that. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, how I mean, bad. I yeah, mean, obviously, you know, it was still. It would actually the numbers he did against Andre Berto were would be considered good today. But I mean, this there was such a massive. No, you have to. You have to. You have. You have to compare to what he's done in the past at right. that time period, and that was horrible. That was. That was. To guarantee Floyd, Floyd took that fight as a guaranteed win so he could walk out the door. I understand it, but that fight shouldn't have been on pay per view. That should have been a Showtime main event. That should not have been a pay per view fight. Cause only way Andre Berto could have won that fight is if they uh put a blindfold on Floyd and Andre had a handgun. That was the only way, and then maybe he would have won two rounds. So uh, when uh, did forget to mention this, but when. Crawford uh, signed on to fight Kevin Leoskis. Top Ring said, "Hey, we we're so confident in getting the uh and getting that Spence fight made. You know, if we don't get it done, we'll we'll get you nine hundred thousand dollars. We'll pay you uh, that little bonus." Let me, and, let me ask you a question: uh-huh. What was the date again of the Kavalaskis fight? The, was that November or December of two thousand nineteen? It was uh. I can check uh, right here, but but basically, uh, it was nine hundred thousand dollars for not getting that fight done. Uh, for if that fight doesn't get done, it was uh, December twenty nineteen. December twenty nineteen. Okay, the Errol Spence had gotten into his car accident in October of two thousand nineteen. So I don't know how you can make that promise. Uh, I mean, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, how do you make that promise? Because we weren't even sure if Spence was ever going to fight again. So let's see, 2019. Errol Spence got into his car accident, I believe, October of 2019. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. How do you make that promise to your fighter when Errol Spence almost died Mm -hmm. and there was severe, severe questions over whether he was ever going to fight again? I'm journalist on that. He he shot himself in the. Aaron's going to have to sit out of court because there's a lot of questions here that we don't have answers to that he needs to answer. Right. And, and yeah, here's the thing. This is one thing is, uh, how, is that I, I, we don't. How do you promise a fight? 
against a guy who may never fight again. I don't understand it. And the complaint also alleges that Top Rank never paid that $900,000. It's supposed to be a $900,000 bonus, right? For, yes. On top of whatever he was going to make to fight Errol Spence. Yes. So that's fraud. That, that's says, fraud. That's out and out fraud. And, and what no, but here's, here what it about, says. Here's, uh, I'm going to read to you exactly what it says. Uh, under the special bonus provision of the 2019 Kavalyowski's bout agreement, among other things, Top Rank promised to pay Crawford a bonus in excess of $900,000 on or before December 31, 2020, if Spence was physically able to compete in professional boxing and Top Rank was able, unable to offer Crawford the opportunity to fight Spence prior to December 31st, 2020. So he owes him that money. You just answered the question. He owes him that money. <laughs> yes. And, and with the uh, the breach of contract as far as the Kavalyowski special prohibition. So that's nine hundred thousand dollars. And there's the uh, the four the four point five million dollars that Crawford alleges Top Rank owes him because that's what he made on average per fight throughout the right. 2018 right. agreement. But he since he never got that second fight on year two in 2019, and, and when I say twenty, and when I say in 2019, you're talking I mean, October to October, October to October. Yes, that's what you're saying. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, October 2018. Uh, and, and I should say, I should, I should specify, October 2019 to October 2020, Crawford only fought once, which was Kavalyowskis. Because right. the Cal yep. Brook fight yep. took place in November 2020. Mm-hmm. So, by on that, he did... So, yeah, so that is what the uh, the suit uh, alleges, that he's owed uh, that much. There's a lot to sort of take in from this. Uh I know that there's a lot to be said on the uh, the racism part, and you know, I, I there I will say this. I'm trying to choose my words carefully because, yeah, even though I am Latino, you look at me, and my skin is pretty white, all things considered. I cannot say what should be or should not be considered racist towards black people. I can't. That's not my lane to do so. So for anyone to sort of come in, especially those who are white, to allege that, you know, whatever Aram says and however Crawford or black people in general feel is or isn't racist is not right. And... Even though there are some people, and Robert, you know this, even though maybe there are some people who are not inherently racist by nature, there are so many small things that some people may say or do, may not even realize it. But there is always a hint of prejudice. There is always a hint of racism. And, you know, some of the things that Bob Emmer has said, it's not exactly really subtle if you look at the at his actions and what he said over the uh, uh over the years and you know and i know some people are gonna dismiss it of you know bob aram is just an old white man you know no you, you gotta no, that's you, bullshit you it's, that's bullshit no you gotta call we, it a we are all we are all slaves to our actions we are all you, if you could look at everyone's behavior, it tells you who you are, who we are, okay? You look at what he has done in the last 30 years, the things he said, the things he said, and the way he's promoted elite, great black fighters. It's all there. It's the proof's in the pudding. That's all I got to say about this situation. He's in trouble. He's going to have to settle out of court. I, there's no way in the world... He can win this lawsuit. Um, Crawford's it, legal, Crawford's legal team has done a sensational job, and it's the same legal team, or at least uh, one of his lawyers. I believe it's the same one that represented Mikey Garcia in Mikey's lawsuit against Top Rank a few years ago, and he was able to get out that contract with Top Rank. Yes, uh, Arabs in trouble, uh, and I don't like his attitude 
the last few years, uh, uh, laissez-faire, and, and the way he's spoken about Terrence Crawford, oh, he's impossible to promote. It's your job to promote, man. Oh, man. So, uh, before I get upset, I'm going to leave it alone. I said what I had to say. Carlos did a great job. Carlos, you did a great job of breaking down the lawsuit. Uh, the last thing I have to say is Bob Arum is in trouble. Top rank is in trouble. If they don't settle out of court, uh, <laughs> Terrence Crawford might might just be a share owner. <laughs> it, a lot of this also depends on whether or not how far this losses goes. If this goes to the point uh, we're in the discovery process, and then we get to the point where uh, the opponents are being uh, are being taken, obviously in this case, Bob Arum would be. Uh, Bob Aaron would obviously be deposed, so would Terrence Crawford. And more than likely, Top DeBuff, who was mentioned multiple times in the complaint as, as someone who's really who's really not uh really not uh doing anything in respect to the comments that Bob has said, the way he's treated Terrence Crawford in Crawford's eyes, you know, that you know, the buff is, is you know, in, in essence, essentially waiting until Aaron retires or dies uh, or, or passes away so he can take over. And I mean, that's so going to take over. Right. Yeah. 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 I, I think it's pretty understandable that Todd DeBuff will would essentially take over the he's uh, the heir apparent of, of top rank. Yeah. Yeah. So. So there there's also that. So, I mean, obviously, those three would be the ones to post. And depending on what. Bob and Todd say, and depending on if, you know, if Crawford's team can provide the actual contract and the special provision in the Kavliowski's contract that explicitly say what Crawford alleges is in, uh, in the contract and what Crawford is owed, it's a very hard sell uh, for top rank to try and win this one and whether or not this goes into all the way to court i don't know i think this i think that it's still very early i think this is going to be an out of court settlement i did uh, bob arab top rank cannot afford for this to go to court because if they lose a huge settlement it's going to be a, bl- a black eye for boxing and it's going to be a black eye for bob arab and top rank's legacy in the sport of boxing, it's already taken a hit. It'll take an even bigger hit if they go to court. Because I don't see Crawford losing this co- this court case, so they should they should do their best to settle out of court. Yeah, uh, yeah. And if it gets to the point of discovery, and you know, and Aram is deposed and Todd Buff, and they say uh, stuff that well th- that could help Crawford's. Uh, a case uh-huh. a little bit more. Topic may be inclined to to settle. I don't know. I, 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 again, I don't know. I do work in the legal field, and I do uh, work, you know, specifically uh, in terms of overseeing and dealing with depositions and in, in a lot of uh, cases. So, uh, I, will it get to even that point to where everyone's getting deposed and everybody airs it all out under oath? I don't know, but. Gun to my head, I'd say this is probably going to be a settlement out of court. Yeah, it, that's what I say. It, it'll it'll depend on what Crawford feels is is a satisfactory uh, settlement. The I guess the one big question of all this is whether or not this is going to affect Crawford and when he's going to be fighting again. And uh, I think the reason why Crawford waited until after the contract expired is that. Uh, he probably doesn't want to be dealing with this uh, while he was under contract with Top Rank, because that could have been uh, that could have been a whole new can of worms that Crawford would have to be dealing with as someone who was already under contract. But as a free agent, it doesn't necessarily impact whether or not he'll sign with someone. But what it can do is that it could mean that Crawford might have to divulge time and resources towards this lawsuit. If it takes that long, if it takes months and months and months, it could take away a little bit from Crawford's focus and maybe his number one priority doesn't immediately become uh, find a fight and find a new home uh, to take his career at. So if this goes all the way to... if this lawsuit could uh goes all the way to a year and 
and I, I've been a part of depositions and overseeing depositions for uh, lawsuits that had been, I don't know, in that that had been kind of ongoing on for well over a year, for two years. So hey. could it go that long? Maybe, but I don't think it's going to inherently affect Crawford to the point where, like, there's nothing contractually preventing him from fighting. But the lawsuit like with, might like just- with like with Mikey Garcia, he didn't fight for two years because of that lawsuit. Yeah, so you know Crawford might have to deal with the lawsuit, but 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 if it takes a while for him to not be to not get ready for for a fight, it'll be because it, there isn't anything contractual that's stopping him. It's just the you know he has to diverge time and resources and put his focus on the lawsuit if if uh, if it gets to that point. So it it is a very ugly ugly. Uh, situation and this is a uh, it is a very very sad uh, bit of piece of news it's virtually sort of kicking off the new year new year but that's at the point that we are before we move on with the rest of this podcast I do want to point out Robert and I did a podcast talking about the Donald Curry versus Lloyd Hunnigan fight from Atlantic City from several decades ago for the Undisputed Welterweight Championship. A bit of a historical recap on one of the biggest upsets in boxing history at the time where Hunnigan beat Donald Curry and dominated Donald Curry to become the Undisputed Welterweight Champ. We took a good look at that fight on the Fight Game Patreon. So you can catch all of that and tons of other great content on the Fight Game Media Patreon. Now, we we had mentioned uh, previously Shakur Stevenson, and Robert, you had a question surrounding the possibility of his sex fight. How is it going to happen? What do your sources say? Does this look like it's going to be a done deal? Shakur Stevenson versus Oscar Valdez to unify the WBC and WBO Super Featherweight Championship. I'm going to, you know, and I'm here in April. Uh-huh. Thir- I'm, I'm also here in April 30th as a possible date. Just tell us what we what you know. There's a couple of dates uh, I think that are being thrown around that is not immediately finalized, but I can. Uh, but I would say it is much more very very likely that this fight is going to take place uh which i i will admit i did find a tiny bit uh peculiar given that it almost seemed like shakur and oscar had they had you know but top rank had plans for each of those uh, for each of those guys and it didn't immediately uh deal with uh, them fighting each other, and I had mentioned that WBC had wanted to try and get a, a couple of fights to crown a sort of get a title eliminator and a mandatory challenger for Oscar Valdez on the WBC side. But obviously, at this point, since there are no fights ordered for Oscar Valdez, a unification fight with Shakur Stevenson, who's the w, uh, WBO champion, could uh, you know there wouldn't be any issues per se. Uh, Do you think the lawsuit played a factor in this fight probably happening? That that's a that's a tough one because because media. remember you get the lawsuit and then two or three days later you hear the rumblings that this fight well has at, well here's the thing well here's the thing so I believe the uh, and I'm trying to look at so before that fight had been mentioned. Back on January 12th, Shakur Stevenson tweeted out that the next opponent he was going to face is going to put him on the pound for pound list. And yes, that I, was I read, on the I, same I that was that the too. same day that, that yeah. was the same day the 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 complaint was filed. Filed. Okay. I don't think if we're to take the timeline. So it, things, sound, it, so it sounds coincidental. Okay. It's, it I, could I, sound, I, it, it yeah, could very well yeah. happen, but here's the thing. If it's a direct response to the lawsuit being, uh, to, to the lawsuit and the complaint being filed, and again, the complaint was on uh, January 12th. I mean, 
good of the top rank for somehow getting all of the- making so much progress in the span of a week, not even a week. Because I don't think you can make- you can do that- you can negotiate, even if it's an in-house fight. To be able to get all, a lot of that done within a, a week is incredible. I mean, you're, you're not, well, it, you're, can, it, it can be done if, if you promote both fighters. And it can be done, but to get a day to, to get a, you, a, a, a to be city, honest with you, mm -hmm. oh yeah, we're supposed to be in Vegas. That that's one uh, that's one possibility. Uh, April thirty in Vegas. Uh, though I would not necessarily say it's fully set in stone, but it's possible. Yes, I think that's the best bet. April thirty for Vegas. Keep it away from the East Coast, and keep it away from California. Put it in Vegas, neutral neutral site. Uh, by the way. I mean, we don't have to wait till the day it happens. Shakur is going to beat the goddamn hell out of Oscar Valdez. Oscar Valdez doesn't have a shot in hell of beating Shakur Stevenson. If you look at the history of boxing, when you got a guy with Valdez's skill set against a guy with Shakur Stevenson's skill set, Oscar's lack of defense, and we'll go more into it when the fight happens. Uh, put the mortgage down on Shakur. <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> I will say right now, if you ask me who uh, who who's the favorite and you know, who I think is going to win, I I would say Shakur Stevenson as well. I do think I do think his style is a, a style that uh, Oscar Valdez uh, struggles He's with just a little bit. He's tailor made for Shakur. He's tailor made for Shakur Stevenson. Oscar Valdez defense is leaky, and Shakur is one of the best counter punches in the sport today, and the best defensive fighter on the planet. I'm gonna save. Everything else for later on. Uh, continue, Carlos. I, I, just, I'm, I'm, I can't wait. I, have, I want to see this fight signed right away. Please, let's get this done. I, I really am excited for this fight. And by the way, actually, I'm doing curious because Stevenson said this. Uh, I'm assuming this is the fight he's talking about. This is the fight that would put him be, pound for pound. Do you think this that could only be the, the only two that could that could possibly be with either this fight or Lomachenko? Could be any other fight he was talking about. But, not, no, but I'm curious. No, but but my question is, do you think Shakur Simonson should be considered for pound for pound if he beats Valdez? I already have him as my number five pound for pound fight in the world. He's that great. I I don't know what people are waiting for. <laughs> uh, it, well, virtuoso performance gets Jamel Herring. Nobody touches Shakur. When was the last time anybody caught Shakur with a clean shot? He doesn't get hit. He's the best defensive fighter in the world. He's an incredible counterpuncher. He, and he doesn't have to move to be great defensively, like a Pernell Whitaker, like a Floyd Mayweather. I got him right now as my number five pound-for-pound pound fighter in the world. After he obliterates Valdez, we could talk top three. <laughs> uh, the, so, to be honest, Carlos, uh -huh. is there anybody in the world better defensively than Shakur Stevenson right now? I, I, I'd have to look back. You've seen I, I everybody. Don't, I don't so. You've seen everybody. I don't You've think seen so. all the active fighters in the sport today. All right? You've seen fighters that nobody other than Tim Boxeo and Asian Boxing has seen, all right? <laughs> Is there anybody better defensively than Shakur Stevenson fighting today? Not immediately that comes to mind. I suppose the only knocking Shakur Stevenson is that, aside from Jamel Herring, he hasn't really fought uh, being anyone of, of real note, maybe Joet Gonzalez and he... uh, Gonzalez is a mid-level fighter. No, no. So, Jamel was the only excellent fighter he's beaten. All those other guys weren't a pimple on his ass. No. All right. So, and keeping on the uh, the top rank train, they've announced uh, a card for the Hulu Theater March nineteen, and this is the top rank on ESPN card. It is the I guess the fight, uh, the fight card that Bob Arum and Top Rank had been hoping to be the start of a real big promotional push for a lot of uh, for some of the fights, especially Puerto Rican fighters. Edgar Berlanga versus Steve Rolls headlines the show at the Hulu Theater. Xander Zayas versus Quincy uh, Lavallee in the co-main event. The Keyshawn David versus Esteban Sanchez in the ESPN main card TV opener. John Bausa, Pablo Valdez, Henry LeBron, Kelvin Davis, all on the ESPN Plus undercard. This is going to be Berlanga's first fight since he had surgery last year. And 
I'm, in, I'm, I'm excited. I'm interested. I, I actually do like this fight. Steve Rolls is, yeah, is look, a, Steve Rolls is, is, a, is, is a decent fighter. He's a decent fighter. Uh, if Belanga doesn't knock Rolls out, he's in trouble. So uh, we'll see. We'll see. Because Belanga's very limited. He's a one-trick pony. Um, I don't know if Rose is going to be the one. He's already been exposed. He got exposed in his last fight. We'll see. We'll see. I wouldn't necessarily... You know what? Uh, uh, I'll play Devil's Advocate in this one. I don't think it necessarily... Uh, I, that fight against Marcelo, Esteban Coceres, necessarily exposed him. I think it, it showed... Him. I, I think it showed... Is, his defense is non-existent. He got caught. He got dropped. Uh... He lost that fight. They robbed that kid. Come on. The last half of the fight, he was trying to survive. He had nothing left. <sighs> I think I've to said me, this the jump street. I yeah. think to me, I look at that fight. I'm like, yeah, this is kind of more or less of what you expect out of someone who. Yes. I know they were entering their 18th pro fight, but come on. That was their. That was the, the start of the fight was round 27 uh, for him. <laughs> Well, he's fought a, he's beaten a bunch of Uber drivers. I mean, it is just now that he's starting to fight uh non-zombies. And Steve you Rolls know, and, be, and go up against a guy like Steve Rolls. At this point of his development, not talking about how many pro fights he's got, the start of his develop uh, at, at the point of his development. I think it's a good fight. I think it's a real good litmus test for where He need, he need, he needs he needs a fighter against he needs a fight like like that against Steve Rose. He cannot continue to fight stiff after stiff. Yeah, uh, and I, and I don't quite, think and I don't think answer. Berlong gets anywhere close to being a contender right now. So fighting Steve oh, Rose he, is, is a very good step a, up. He's a prospect and he's a he's gonna be a prospect for a while. We'll see. And overall the fight uh, the, the entire fight card is just a bunch of prospects which you know, I don't, I, I don't mind. I don't dislike. There's a couple of good fighters that Top Rank is promoting that are going to be on this card that I actually am very excited to see. I'm excited to well, see. He, he's uh, Keyshawn and Xander are two future superstars, so that's worth that's worth the price of admission alone. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, Keyshawn is dynamite. They can't miss. Keyshawn and Xander are can't miss prospects. These are blue chippers, right? I yeah. mean, they, 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 I mean, the only thing that could stop them is themselves. I mean, that's it right now. I mean, God, Lord, uh, be prepared. These kids are going to be special. Yeah, oh, I, I really am, man. You know, Quince and uh, Quincy against Sanders is a good fight. It, it, this will be, I think, Sanders' first scheduled eight-rounder. Yeah, his first eight-rounder. And, right. you know, Quincy— I'm telling you, I'm making a prediction. Before the end of 2023, Sanders will have a middleweight world, a legit middleweight middleweight world championship. That's a, that's a heck of a bold prediction. I don't think that— uh, I don't think uh, say is uh, I think Zay, uh, Sander is good enough to uh to to win a world title. I, I firmly believe that. And... Yeah, but by 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 next year, Triple G would be out of the picture. Uh, Charlo will be out of the picture. Lara is long in the tooth. Uh, Murata is long in the tooth. <laughs> the, the middleweight division will be dominated by Xander Zayas, and like we've mentioned on this program before, Xander Zayas will be the first great Puerto Rican middleweight champion in the history of the sport. I don't want to hear Miguel Cotto and Felix Trinidad because they both had cup of coffees. Right? This kid is the real deal. He will be the first great Puerto Rican middleweight champion with a very long title uh, title reign. And Carlos, he could be your guy to clean up the division and get all the belts. That that The, 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 the sky's the limit for Xander Zayas. Now, other uh, there have been a number of different fights that were announced. Nothing super major, but the one big piece of news is uh, we left last week wondering what's going to be the status of the February 5th matchroom card with Story uh, Tickets on Rumbus Side versus Carlos Quadras rematch. They kept, they kept it, right? They kept yep. it. Yep. Uh, matchroom announced that fight and the card is going to stay there. It's actually going to move to a bigger venue in Arizona. 
It moved from the Gila River Arena in Glendale, and it's now at the Footprint Center in Phoenix, which I think it's a bigger venue. And they announced the these fights are going to be on the that's, undercard. That's not, that's not where the Suns play, right? That's not what I don't think the Footprint Arena. What's the Suns? Uh, the Suns Arena was U.S. Airlines, right? U.S. Air one time, right? I don't know if that's still the name of it. Uh, can you look that up real quick and see the capacity and who plays there? It's the. Uh, I'm trying to. Yeah, no, that is where the the Suns play. That's that is exactly. All right, so we're talking a twenty thousand seat stadium. I mean, arena. Good, good, good. Yeah, it's. Uh, that's gonna be a. It's that's going, gonna be interesting. It's how- gonna sell out. It's going to sell out. The, the 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 Mexican and Hispanic fans will come out, and you have a great uh, large Hispanic population in Phoenix. So th- th- that's going to sell out. The undercard: Jamie Mitchell versus Carly Skelly. I think for the I think it was the uh, the WBA band, women's bantamweight uh, title. Uh, this will be the first title defense for. Jamie Mitchell trying to uh, see if it were, if we got the title right. Yeah, WBA bantamweight title, first title defense. Raymond Ford versus Edward Vasquez. Aaron Aponte versus Louis Jourdain. Khalil Coe versus Stuart Twardsick. And as well as uh, no opponents announced for these fighters, but Adam Stewart, Elijah Garcia, and Jesse Bam Rodriguez. Uh, on the undercard, and I'm excited for Jesse Bam Rodriguez's return. He is maybe one of the best fighters, uh, young fighters in all of boxing pound for pound right now. Absolutely more than capable of winning a title at 108 pounds. And I I don't, I honestly think he actually could win it this year. He, I think he could win a legitimate world title at 108 this year. He is that good despite being such a young fighter. And... We also got, speaking of undercards for Super Flyweight title fights, the other card for March 6th, uh, March 5th, I should say, headlined by Juan Francisco Estrada versus Roman Chocolatito Gonzalez, the trilogy. Mauricio Lara versus Emilio Sanchez. Angel Fierro versus Juan Carlos Burgos. Diego Pacheco versus Jenk Plana. Mark Castro, Anthony Herrera, and Sky Nicholson all on the card. No opponents announced. This is some good undercards. I really like that's a good. That, I, I really like the uh, Lara and Angel Fierro and uh, their respective fights on that undercard. I actually like them a lot. This is a great card, and, and you have a potential fight of the year main event. So, man, this is this is a great card. And despite despite the postponement of the original uh, uh, main event, this is going to be great. We're not missing anything. <laughs> All right, I think we've got long enough without recapping a, a a fight card. Really, only one fight card this past weekend, and that was the uh, top rank on uh top rank card from Oklahoma. Joe Smith Jr. versus Steve Defraud, uh for the WBO light heavyweight title, and fight ended with a you know pretty dominant performance from Joe Smith Jr. Joe Smith. Retains his title, ninth round knockout, uh, very very one sided. Uh, Smith dominated the fight. He was it was attacking Steve very very uh, much so from the very beginning of the fight. Uh, Jeff Ward was really not uh, not really letting his hands go. Could was landing his left hand every so often, but never did anything that would even remotely. Uh, worry Joe Smith and Smith would just dominate the fight. It was very one-sided, very dominant, kind of uneventful, and it ended with Smith retaining his title. If I'm being honest, uh, this, this in this fight, I know it was a last-minute replacement, um, but boy, uh, I didn't really learn anything new about Joe Smith Jr., I, the only he thing is, Louis, this he, was a much better performance against Maxine Vlasov, but I think that was to be expected. Well, he, he well, this guy's not as good as uh, Vlasov. Uh, Joe Smith did what he was supposed to do, dominated a lesser opponent. Now, the question I have for you, is, Carlos, is who's his next opponent? It better be Arthur Berbiev. It better be Archer. Better be it. Only, it only makes sense. They're both promoted by the same guy. Let's 
Let's stop throwing Joe Smith in with these with these guys. And Joe Smith is the type of fighter that can easily get upset by a unknown boxer who's uh, uh, flight of feet and very tricky. Uh, let's get him in the ring with Better BF, make that fight, and take it from there. The other fight on that main card, Abraham Nova versus William Encarnacion. Nova uh, scores an eighth-round TKO victory. Also, very, very dominant uh, performance from Nova. The highlight of the fight, and really of the (laughs) card, was... And this was brilliant, by the way. So, Abraham Nova comes out and... Goes to the ring, walks to the ring with a mascot of himself, complete with the uh, with the uh, with the boxing with the gloves, with the boxing gloves, <laughs> wearing boxing trucks, got the beard, sh- you know, stylized and colored the same way as Nova's beard, which is different from his hair color. Got it all. Very very good uh, replication of Nova as a mascot, and this is the most creative thing I've seen in boxing in a long time. I mean. This guy's got to go everywhere with him now. When when he does a press conference for his first big fight, that mascot's got to be right by his side. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. This was this was great. I absolutely loved it. And I love that guy. I mean, wow. Hey, hey. That uh, that is such a I that is such a fantastic marketing tool. And that's got that. You know what? That's gonna get more eyeballs on him. How could you? Without a doubt, and I'm, su- I'm surprised no one has ever thought of this before. I mean, great job by Nova in this camp, because you couldn't help but keep you couldn't help but keep your eyes on his mascot throughout the fight. <laughs> and it helped that Nova was fighting very, very well uh, throughout the fight. I was very curious to see how he would fight uh, moving down to feather because he's been a super featherweight uh, throughout. His hey, throughout he, the majority of his could, career, or really throughout his career, if he could continue to make the weight, Carlos, he's going to be a threat at featherweight because he's got incredible power. He's a tremendous power puncher. He's got a ton of charisma. Uh, there's money to be made with this kid. I'm I'm looking forward to seeing him fight from now on. <laughs> yeah, it's. A... I think featherweight, as long as he can make the weight and he's not uncomfortable, he's going to be a major for- force at featherweight in the featherweight division. Is uh we'll see after this uh coming up this Saturday, what Gary Russell has left uh that would be an exciting fight. I mean I would pick Russell, but still I yeah mean, I, this, right now this... I would pick all the title holders to beat Nova right now. But I but but yeah. Nova's taking a good step and yes. here's the thing I still want to see him fight quality opposition at yes. the actual featherweight limit. This fight was not at 126. I mean technically. The uh, they, these guys fought at 127. Uh, Nova came in at 126 and three quarters, and then Carnacion came in at 127. So I want to see him fight a good opponent while adhering strictly to that to 126 limit. Who's uh, Navaretti with now? I mean, still with top rank. Well, you could make that fight. I, Nova did call out Navarrete. Uh, yeah, he did. Uh, that would be the exciting. Now I'm going to pick Navarrete. But that would be the very exciting fight, and both guys have a lot of moxie. Yeah, I did yeah, do this. I mean, I think why you can, wait? I, I think you can give Abraham Nova another, another solid, maybe a, a step up from Encarnacion, and sort of maybe build towards that fight. Who who did Navarrete beat in his last fight? Uh, so Emmanuel Navarrete, his last fight, I believe. Was, was it Joey Gonzalez? Well, yes. Was it was against George Gonzalez? Uh, Put Nova against Gonzalez. Put Nova in the ring with Gonzalez. All right, that will tell me if he's ready for the big time. Because even though I consider Gonzalez a mid-level fighter, he's a gatekeeper now. For you to be considered a threat in the featherweight division, that's the type of guy you got to beat. Well, make, make well fight. That, that that all depends. That that all depends on how he uh, fares against Gio uh, Santissima. Because he's fighting, because those two are fighting oh, on, right. on March 4th on the undercard of the uh, well, Jose Ramirez and Jose Pedrosa card. Well, have the winner fight Nova then. Yeah, you know what? I'm I'm down yeah. with that. I'm okay with that. Have the winner fight Nova. And that will tell us if Nova's ready to face a Navarro. 
I, I fully agree with you on that. Both guys lost to Navarrete. And I think you could make a... Uh, you could start making that push and build that narrative yeah. uh, there. Yeah. We also got... We really don't have a ton of boxing this weekend. The only one that we got, and we kind of been teasing it throughout the show, Gary Russell Jr. versus Mark Masayo in a Showtime main event this Saturday for the WBC featherweight title. I am very happy to see Gary Russell back. It's been two years since we last saw him, and I was on, on another podcast, and I don't know when that, and I, I'm pretty sure that podcast is going to uh, uh, go live after this one goes live. But I'll say it again, I'll say it here. It's amazing how long Gary Russell has been the BBC champion, and I noticed it earlier today. He's on his third precedent as WBC champion. That's how far back he's been fighting. Uh, he's been champion, but it also shows how inactive he's been. It's only fought since 2015. He has fought a total of six times, five title defenses. Yep. His last fight took place in February of 2020. You now you could say you could think that maybe ring rust will play a factor in this one, but. I'd argue no, because Gary Russell is one of the best fighters in the world when it comes to preventing ring rust from settling in. He's been well. He's not going to get ring rust because he stays in the gym with his brothers. He spars with his brothers all the time. Yes, and Gary has been, you know, he's been, you know, he hasn't been shying away from the public. He's been in his brother's corner for their fights in recent months. And we so we know he's staying in shape. We know he he his mind is still sharp. But I don't think that's going to play a, a role. He has he's said one, uh, he's one of the he's one of the best physical specimens in boxing today. You never see an ounce of fat on him. That man is in immaculate condition. He stays in shape. Uh, yeah, and you know I I we have a um. But the the one thing that I think we still need to sort of uh, consider is that uh, Gary has been dealing with uh, some personal stuff, for, you know, for, for recent months. I mean, he had the uh, uh, hey, the passing of his uh, younger brother, uh, the yes. training, yes. his training camp with his dad uh, is. Uh, was certainly different from all the others because his dad had to have his foot amputated just before Christmas. Yep. I mean, that's yep. a lot of stuff that, you know, that he had to deal with. And first of all, kudos to him uh, and credit to him for fighting, dealing with all that. And obviously, I cannot say how that's going to affect him in this fight because it it's different for every fighter. So, you know, yes. I'm when I'm making this prediction, I'm going by what I know from what I have seen and what I feel physically Gary Russell can do. I think he's going to beat Mark Masayo. I think it's going to be a one-sided uh decision. I think it's going to be somewhere in like a 9-3 range, 117 to 111 type of range. Gary Russell is one of the most adept fighters in the world right now pound for pound his footwork is incredible he never allows himself to be pressured uh too much by his opponent and he is able to catch on to a fighter's speed and rhythm so quickly that once he once he's able to do so it's almost game over for you it's almost impossible to sort of escape from that and masayo can punch he certainly can box I am curious to see if Masayo can get a feel for Gary Russell quicker than Gary Russell can get a feel of Mark Masayo. And based on what I've seen from both of these guys, and I've seen uh, seen years worth of fights from these guys, I'm leaning towards no. I'm thinking Russell is going to dominate this fight. I think I'm thinking that Masayo will struggle at times. To catch up with Russell's speed, which even at 32, Gary Russell is still one of the fastest fighters out uh, in the world. I I firmly I, I firmly believe that this is going to be the same old, same old Gary Russell. 
that we are accustomed to seeing. I'm sorry, he's 33, not 32. But you get, but you get my point. I agree with you, Carlos. Oh, well, I'm just going to say that I think he knocks out McSyle. McSyle in his last fight got dropped and got hurt. His defense is very suspect. Gary Russell's going to sharpshoot all night. And I see the Gary Russell that knocked out Johnny Gonzalez, whose defense was always suspect. McSyle leads with his face. Uh, the only way McSyle wins this fight, if it's in a firefight and if he catches Russell, Russell's too slick to allow himself to get into a firefight. He's going to counter McSyle's aggression all night long. I'm going to predict a TKO or a KO between rounds 8 and 10. Yeah, I, I can see that happening. I think in my in my opinion, I do think that I think it will take him I think it will take Gary a little bit, maybe a round or two to sort of get his uh shake off whatever ring rust if there is one right. uh out there. And I think he's gonna opt more to out- outbox get uh Mark Basayo. I don't think that he's going to try and go. And obviously, if the opportunity is there to hurt him and knock him out, he'll absolutely oh, no. take it. I'm, I'm not saying he's, he's going to box, but Maxeo is going to walk into something. See, Maxeo is a very aggressive fighter, especially when he sees he's behind. Like in his last fight, he had a come-from-behind victory, knockout victory. That's not happening in this fight. He's going to try that, and he's, I think he's going to get dropped. That's my prediction. But I agree with you, Carlos. Gary Russell's going to box from outside and 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 uh, just dominate without having to take any chances. Any the the KO could only happen with McSayo exposing himself. The rest of the TV card looks like this: Subriel Matias versus Petros uh, Ananian, uh, and I'm the most sure. exciting the most exciting TV fighter in the sport today is Matias. He's must-see TV. Uh, this is going to be another great fight. Yeah, and I, I apologize. I'm pretty sure I, uh, I butchered Petros' last name. But I do agree. I do like this fight. It's a rematch from back in 2020 yep. when Petros scored an upset win over Subriel yep. Matias. He dropped Subriel in, uh, re- relatively late in the fight. Scores a very narrow decision victory. I think Subriel is going to come out on top. I think he's going to win this with a late stoppage. I think it's going to be an absolute firefight. I think Matias yes. is punching in and aggressiveness has remained from, you know, before the loss, but I do see that, but I've noticed Subriel his punching there's a little bit more of a focus to Let his me tell aggression. You and he for some reason, I don't know why, since that loss, he seems to have more pop in his punches. I agree with you, Carlos. I see a ninth round TKO or knockout, and he gets his revenge, and he continues on a very fun run right now. I mean, in no shape or form is he a great fighter. He's an exciting fighter. He's must-see TV. And I'm not mad if he fights Josh Taylor or Regis Prograce. That'll be must see TV. Yeah, I, I do. Yeah, I think it's good. he would make for a great uh, title fight, no matter against who it yep. it, it would be. Uh, you know, assuming Josh Taylor. You know, if it's not Josh T- Taylor, whoever Subriel fights for a title at one forty. First of all, first of all, Taylor would be smoking crack if he moved up to one forty seven. He can't beat any of those elite fighters. <laughs> I, I don't know why the discussion isn't moving up to 147. He's not good enough to beat to beat the Errol Spences, Terrence Crawfords, and Boots Ennis of the world. He needs to get that out of his mind. I don't know why they're uh, entertaining that thought. He, he will he will fail miserably. He needs to stay at 140 and defend that title against the plethora of contenders that are out there. And forget 147. Well, the Crawford fight's not going to happen now because he's in a lawsuit with, with uh, Taylor's promoter. So I don't know why they keep talking about Taylor after Catterall moving up to 147. Because, Carlos, do you actually see him competing against those guys? Seriously? That's a... Okay, so if Taylor fights... 
All right, let's look at the top at uh, the three title holders. Against Crawford, Crawford wins. Against Spence, yep. I think Spence wins. Against Ugas, well, that that's uh, an interesting the, 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 one. Spence is fighting Ugas. Oh, that's so true. I, that's true. But I'm, I'm talking yeah, to like hypothetical. Yeah, if he were to fight yeah. uh, your Dennis Ugas right now, yeah, that's an interesting one. Um, I, I'll say that's this, his I'm, best shot. That's his that's best his shot, best and shot. I will say this. Boy, do they do their styles not clash very well? I think that would make for kind of an ugly fight. But it's it his best be shot of winning that, a title it in a hypothetical a sense. Fight. Yeah, I agree with you on that. But it'd be a very ugly fight. TV opener for the Showtime card this Saturday: King Tug Tug Suck Nyambayar against Sakaria Lucas. Uh, Lucas coming in late replacement after Vic Pasillas, who was King Tug's. Uh, original opponent tested positive for COVID-19 and Naim Bayar is looking to rebound from the loss against Chris Colbert in which Naim Bayar was the late uh, replacement opponent and Colbert you know dominated real, in, in a relative dominated. sense dominated uh, Naim Bayar so we'll see I, I predict Naim Bayar to dominate this fight yeah uh, I, I'm curious to see how much Lucas Sakaria Lucas has improved since the loss to Isaac Avalar, and it was back in 2020, and that that was a very dominant uh, uh, win by Avalar at the time. And Avalar yep. was dealing with he was in the midst of a two fight losing streak, and he's lost two since. So it's not like Avalar is a world beater and losing handedly in that fashion. Uh, and plus, Niamh Yar. His window is closing, I think, in my opinion, as a contender. He needs to be able to win and win now before he's being relegated into gatekeeper status. Yeah, he's almost there. So this is a must win for him. And I see him winning the fight. Uh, I, I see him winning the fight with no problem. I agree with you. All right, Robert. Anything else you need, want to discuss before no, we end we things here? We covered everything, and I'm, I want to thank the podcast listeners for their patience. We ran into a bunch of delays this week, but we finally got the show up and running for you guys. So you guys enjoy the weekend, enjoy the Gary Russell fight, and uh, we take it from here. All right, Robert, where can the people find you on Twitter and read your work? My Twitter handle is robertsilver5768. The parent website of this podcast, FightGameMedia.com. I have my 45 Greatest Fighters of the Last 45 Years series. Just published in the last week two articles. My number 24 fighter of the last 45 years, Saul Canelo Alvarez. And yesterday, my number 23 fighter of the last 45 years was published. And that is the... Greatest Welsh fighter that I've, I've ever seen, and that's Joe Calzaghi. Uh, and a uh, quick, uh, 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 quick update, next week's article, the number 22 fighter of the last 45 years, the always controversial but highly underrated, people forget how great this guy was, Oscar De La Hoya. That'll be coming out next week. You can also find me on Twitter at Coles Toro Media. You can also read my work at FightGameMedia.com. That'll do it. He's Robert Silva. I'm Carlos Toro. We'll see you next time in the next episode of Pound for Pound here on the Fight Game Media Network. Hope you guys enjoyed the rest of your week and enjoy this week's fight. We'll talk to you soon.